2: Welcome in to the Rotowire NFL podcast. I'm your host John McNagney joined by Mario Puig. Mario, I am back from va- from vacation. Uh, so I'm, How I'm was back that? in the saddle. Uh, it was great. Uh, girlfriend and I went back to uh, the DC area. Um, we went to Annapolis. Uh, Annapolis is an awesome, you know, little kind of coastal town. It's where the capital is of, of Maryland, the oldest uh, operating state house. Uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful town there, and yeah, you know, went went around to different spots in Georgetown and DC, and you know, just kind of kind of did it up for a week, and you know, I didn't worry about work for a week. I listened to exactly zero podcasts, so my brain feels healthy, and now I feel ready to roll. Like now I'm I'm like fully locked in uh, as like the calendar moves forward and sports are like officially back.
1: Oh, nice. That's good for you, I guess. I've been spending that time just cramming my brain with poison good so uh yeah it's uh i've been watching tv shows too though I've, I've been doing that and i started a video game which is very exciting for me but uh yeah all all that stuff about uh, fulfilling life experience or whatever you were doing sounds cool too i guess <laughs> it
2: is all right i suppose um and yeah that i mean that was the extent of it uh had some it was weird like flying for the first time there you know since all of this happened. Um, I think everyone was pretty good about like wearing, wearing masks and whatnot, but, um, like we had to like connect in O'Hare kind of business as usual. there. like everyone's wearing masks, but like the, the crowds were about the same as they ever were. Uh, the plane, they let you move around a little bit. Um, if, uh, if there are like rows available, they'll, they'll like understand that you want to like social distance and stuff. But I, I still think that they, I, in an ideal world, the, the, Airline companies would prefer to have their uh, planes full, which it, I don't think is a great idea right now. But it is what it is.
1: Yeah. Uh, funny thing, massive consolidations of capital tend to want more all the time, uh, no matter what the repercussions are in the process. So, yeah, those those uh, those spacious flights are probably a thing of, of a limited timeline. That's that's probably going to get turned into a, what is it like barge. Uh, Kind of packed in. It's going to be like uh, the the back of Snow Piercer probably within a week.
2: Oh, great. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, travel in the age of Corona, um, really, really fun. I totally uh, recommend it. But uh, before uh, we dive into today's show, going to give a brief overview. Um, And again, our podcast is brought to you by Dynasty Owner and our friends over at FanDraft. Great stuff uh, from both of those guys. Uh, We'll hear from them a little bit more later on in the show, but we're going to get into some backfield situations between the the Bucs and the Rams with with some newsy stuff coming out about both of them, and then we're going to dive into Mario's uh, most recent article Breaking down the Chiefs' passing game situation beyond uh, Tyreek Hill um, and Travis Kelsey, um, but Thursday morning, uh, Jenna Lane, uh, the Bucks reporter over at ESPN, very plugged in, very uh, established reporter, gave her 53-man breakdown uh, projection for uh, this Buccaneers roster and turned a lot of heads. I think there is a lot of um, discussion on Twitter Thursday morning about what it what it all meant when uh, this quote uh, about Ronald Jones in this backfield goes as such. Jones will serve as the first and second down back, while Agumbe will handle third down, and Vaughn will serve as a backup. Um, so I think that that definitely raised some eyebrows with you know especially uh, these two players. They're not going as Compact in ADP as they were, you know, a month ago or so. But they're going about uh, 16 picks apart. I think, it, according to data over the last week or so, Ronald Jones going around pick 72, uh, Keyshawn Vaughn pick 89 or so. This could shake some things up, but um, you yeah. know, if, if people you know maybe aren't keeping their eyes on on the prize and are getting fixated on on the wrong thing.
1: Yeah, I would guess Ronald Jones's ADP is going to jump now in light of this, and. That's, uh, I don't know, I, we'll, we'll see what it means, I guess, in the long run, if it happens, but it could be unfortunate for the, the Ronald Jones shares potential out there, just because he was was going at a reasonable price, I think, is, is currently, even up until now, going at a reasonable price, and now if the price jumps too much, like if people start taking him over, I don't know, uh, you know guys like Cam Akers and DeAndre Swift and stuff like that, Devin Singletary. It's like maybe that's getting a little too aggressive and putting kind of like an unfair expectation on Jones. But I think we might see that now just because of this report. And I don't think it's re- I don't think it's correct to, to react too much to this report. Like, I think it's just one of those things where uh, particularly since this is a beat reporter rather than a pundit, they're, they're probably going to imagine themselves being more like a fair, uh impartial just aggregator of truth and when you approach journalism that way you you're less likely to take the liberty of predicting change so i think jenna lane as much as she's you know certainly plugged in with the team i don't know if it's really in the nature of someone in her position to to even try to figure out where this is going i like to her And and reporters like her, like her job might just be to to describe objectively like Jones is probably the starter because he was here first and Dario Gumbawale was the third down guy last year. So he is that until some further notice and it's not my place to issue it. So I think that's how people should take an article like this. I don't think they should view it as like insider information because I don't think it was meant to portray that even. I could be wrong. Maybe I'm totally wrong and and Keyshawn Vaughn will be the third running back. But I feel totally... Free and, and safe, and saying no way, it's not happening. So I think that Keyshawn Vaughn um, is is probably a candidate for a Gumball Wallace snaps, uh, specifically for the pass catching purposes, because that would allow them to get the best of both worlds from Ronald Jones and Keyshawn Vaughn. It's like you get ra- Ronald Jones and all his raw running ability without any of the the downside of maybe his deficient pass blocking, if he is deficient as a pass blocker, which I don't I don't even know if that's a given. Um, but even if he is, then then Vaughn can get upwards of 400, 450 snaps just playing some of the Peyton Barber share and the Agumba Wale share from last year, and it would still leave Jones for five hundred plus snaps.
2: Yeah, I think that the, those are really important distinctions. Obviously, Peyton Barber being gone, that leaves up three hundred forty-seven snaps up uh, for grabs. And we were talking about this um, on the XM show. But when it comes to Agumba Wale, you know, swallowing up three hundred sixty-seven snaps a year ago, that. Probably has more to do with the Bucks just simply being light on legitimate NFL running backs in their backfield. Yeah. Uh, than, than well, they him. had
1: Peyton Barber starting, you know? Yeah. <laughs> see, it's really
2: bad. So, again, uh, I got to say, like, that there's probably this is probably the only team in the NFL where a Goomba Wale would have seen, you know, even close uh, to that level of work, 367. And, and, you know, I think you brought up a good point, too. Like, you know, even on the Dolphins, like Patrick Laird, a better pass catcher than Agumbe Wale, so he probably wouldn't have even gotten that if he was on the Dolphins. And I think that that, that is kind of generally considered one of the worst backfields of all time. So, yes. um, po- point being, uh, Agumbe Wale, you know, don't take uh, the this report as doctrine because you know I think once vaughn shows up and and training camp gets underway it's it'll be pretty obvious that that you know he is more effective on a per snap per rep basis than a wale and a wale um you know it's not like the bucks are super invested in him so they don't need to like force him onto the field
1: right definitely so last year daria gumbo wale caught 76.1 percent of his targets at 6.2 yards per target and that was in an off completed 60.6% of its attempts at 8.1 yards per attempt. So, yeah, he outplays the catch rate by uh, 16, 15, but the yards per target and the yards per attempt disparity is still a little bit more. It's like it's 1.8 yards, uh, sorry, 1.9 yards. And so this is this is not a exact science that I use when I talk this way but to me that's below baseline production because I kind of I kind of call 10 points in the completion rate uh analogous more or less to one full yard disparity in the, in the uh yards per target yards per attempt so I view that as below baseline what a Gumbo Wally did like if he caught instead of 76 percent of his targets if he had caught uh I guess it would have been like 79 80 percent or something like that that would have been a little different but 76 percent caught at 6.2 yards per target is not useful and therefore should be easily outdone if Keyshawn Vaughn is anywhere near as good as they think he was when they spent a third round pick on him
2: yeah the you know the 76 percent catch rate for a running back that's barely barely above average that's 51 uh, percentile so really uh, you know the efficiency really isn't there, and like you said, when when the yards per um, target that he's getting is is well below the offense's baseline, and he's not really even that efficient as a pass catcher to begin with, uh, you know the, those end up being you know the quote unquote like the empty calorie type of plays.
1: Yeah, and I think particularly in an offense where the defense is running downfield with Chris Godwin and Mike Evans right off the snap, and, and I guess Prashad Perriman right after the snap. Daria Gumbawale should have been in a position where he's catching passes with room to run. And after the catch last year, he generated 6.2 yards per catch, which was 15th percentile among running backs. So he's he's got reliable hands, it seems like. And I, I would imagine the reason Bruce Arians took a liking to Gumbawale is because he's probably studious and smart worker. And he'll he'll be in the place you tell him to at the time you tell him to be there. But in terms of actually taking the football and doing anything with it, we're, I think, already seeing reason why he was a walk-on at Wisconsin and undrafted as as a rookie prospect rather than someone of Keyshawn Vaughn's sort of history.
2: Um, let's, you know, I think you touched on on an important point there and, you know, regarding the the context of this offense a year ago um, where you had defenses having to you know account for three you know big deep threats in Evans Godwin and Perriman and they had uh, Jameis Winston pulling the trigger obviously and and pushing the ball down the field I I, I don't have the number right in front of me but I, I think he was at the top or very close to it in terms of average depth of throw so if you're if you're goomba wallet, and you're still not generating that much yardage after catch despite all the space that's being provided to you uh, via the threats that the other receivers are providing what happens if this if the field shrinks a little bit for this offense this year where where you know the, yeah. there's Arians talking about the the two tight end base I, again I don't know if I fully buy that they're going to be in that at all times but um, it's certainly something that you know they could do. They have two very legitimate, startable uh, tight ends, um, and they have Tom Brady throwing it—a guy who, on the opposite end of the average depth of throw spectrum from Jameis Winston. So there could be less room for these uh, like backfield pass catchers to operate this year because you know the the field is a little bit shrunk with, with the current constraints.
1: Yeah, I can't claim to know how much this Buccaneers offense is going to look like the Josh McDaniels Tom Brady offense if there is a such thing possible as the Tom Brady Bruce Arians offense i can hardly imagine what it looks like to me those sound like almost opposites but it's it's possible that it could or i mean it's it's very likely that it'll be less downfield oriented than it was under winston like you said because he's he just loves to ch- and brady does not brady would rather uh, not throw an interception uh, so he he has a different approach, and that approach invites the safeties forward, and, and maybe takes less room for for a Gumball Wally to run after the catch than he would in the same scenario last year. With that said, there is a chance that a Gumball Wally could get kind of like those James White kind of plays, and if he does, maybe he'll be a little better than that at that than he was doing what he did last year. I just don't think that seems likely, and I don't mm-hmm. think it seems probable enough to be actionable in any way. I, I feel like the, the objectively medium range assumption here is that a gumball wally gets his snap count at least reduced by like 160 down to 200 or something like that because they could probably justify keeping him on the roster and active on game days as you know if if Vaughn gets hurt if jones gets hurt we're glad to have someone who knows what he's doing rather than a you know a rookie who doesn't um but you know raymond clay is still there he was their seventh round pick out of lafayette in in this last draft and if he profiles for any kind of work, it's probably more along the lines of what a Gumball Wallie did in this offense last year. So I feel like there's a few ways that a Gumball could lose. I don't see any realistic way he could win in this. And uh, as much as he might stick around on the team, I just I just think if Keyshawn Vaughn is anything like what they thought he was, then he profiles particularly well for a lot of the stuff that a Gumball Wallie had last year. So uh, there's a lot of ways it could work. One thing I want to mention, it wouldn't be that surprising to me if if they really do use a two tight end base. But a lot of it is just O.J. Howard split out wide at receiver, mm-hmm. which actually sounds like a really good idea to me. And I kind of wish Arians had already tried it because he was literally faster than Mike Evans. Like, he runs a faster 40 than Mike Evans does. Um, and obviously, if you if you have O.J. Howard out on a 510 corner uh, in the run game he could just murder that guy yep. so they could do stuff like that and still meet the definition of too tight end um i just don't think that whichever way it breaks that it'll ever be to a gumball wally's benefit
2: no so don't uh don't you know fall for the cheese there um because, yeah, there's a lot of ways that, that, you know, the bottom falls out as far as his snap count, as far as his workload is concerned. And then, like you said, if, if Vaughn is, you know, even 80 percent what, what we think he's going to be, um, then, you know, he's going to come in and command well over 300 snaps uh, just from the jump. Just, you know, again, with with Barber's snaps up for grabs and then in addition to that, you know, him just giving more valuable reps uh, than a Goomba it should be. You know, set up to where it's it's Jones and it's Vaughn and and both of them, uh, you know, end up returning some value at their respective ADPs. And now that now that they are a little bit more spread out, um, I I think that there's a general opinion now forming about uh, what this backfield looks like. I I still feel like in looking at some of these other crowded backfields that, that have question marks, the Ravens one with with dobbins and and Mark Ingram is a tough one to figure out. and and uh, the Miami one, um you know with with breda and and with Jordan Howard is also uh, tough to figure out.
1: Yeah, it's like sometimes you you get those guys lining up in a similar range of the ADP, and sometimes your stacking or pairing interests can make the choice for you. Uh, but the way it's looking with Jones and Vaughn right now, and this is so weird for me, I was all about well, – I wasn't exactly a Ronald Jones buyer coming out of the draft, but I, I definitely had the the position – if I'm buying one of these two Tampa Bay running backs, it's definitely Jones. That was just more so because he was the cheaper one of the two at the time. But Vaughn's price falling about three rounds, and, and especially if Jones goes higher now because of the, the General Lane article, all of a sudden somehow o- over the course of like six weeks I've gone from like the Keyshawn Vaughn hater to – Number one, Keyshawn Vaughn, super fan. I've got the pe- I've got the pennant out that says Keyshawn Vaughn on it. You know, like Homer. Uh, so it's it's a strange uh, it's been a strange few months, and and this is. Uh, an underrated reason why
2: for me <laughs> no it's it's definitely been interesting to because there was so much uh vaughn hype coming coming out of the draft because everyone just kind of circled the buccaneers as like that backfield whoever gets drafted by by them is going to be my guy just because they're, they're so tired of of ronald jones already after just yeah. two years <laughs>
1: that was that was so funny how much of the argument for vaughn was like because i don't like ronald jones It
2: seriously well...
1: though okay it's like if you're free to go on it like that i i, I won't try to stop you but I'll, uh, for the record I, i'll try to look at something else before i make my decision
2: yeah yeah ex- exactly um let's move on over to the rams and, and get into this backfield a little bit um there, there's some some newsy nuggets coming out where, where mcveigh uh, kind of referred to you know his ideal plan for this upcoming season and his view of the backfield being a, a bit of a running back uh, by committee. So y- your thoughts on, on the fallout uh, there? Let yeah on McVeigh's thoughts and then like the kind of prevailing thoughts in the fantasy community.
1: Well, it seemed like people, uh, other than kind of like the first half hour after that report started circulating, it seems like people stopped freaking out about it at that point. Sometimes. Uh, like we just talked about with the Ronald Jones thing. And sometimes when these reports come out, people just become hysterical. Like they just go poo-poo bird, loony, and, and just overreact to things. They they start seeing signs where there are none. That they, they basically lose touch with reality. Luckily, I think most people didn't quite do that with Acres in, in this report from McVeigh because uh, it was probably the John Kelly part of it that was the tell, right? Like we, you might've gotten a little spooked if he was like, I think I'm going to split the carries evenly between Cam Akers and Daryl Henderson this year, because that is something that someone buy more or less, or, you know, you can, you can kind of start seeing the reasoning for it. If, if Sean McVay, by all accounts, a, a uniquely smart offensive coach says that he's going to try to make like a four way split that includes John Kelly. You can probably conclude that he doesn't really mean what he's saying, or to the extent that he, he means what he says. He's just talking Talking about something different than what we what we have in mind, what we're looking for. Mm-hmm. We're asking him, just Sean, who's going to get carries? And he, being a football coach, who has to make a game day active list and exclude eight players from his roster, coaches tend to put a lot more. Like they they start to consider it a running back by committee if they have three or more guys active on game day, and especially if three or more guys see so much as one snap on offense, like they start to consider it a running back by committee because to them, it's that one rep on offense that constitutes it. They don't, they don't call it a running back by committee only when the, the third guy gets to 80 carries or something like that. They'll call it a running back by committee if, if that third guy plays a hundred snaps this year. So right. yeah, I don't, I don't think there's, like if if he had excluded Kelly and said just Henderson and Brown might factor in, I might have been a little more spooked for Acres. But to me, it was just a classic case of a coach just uh, probably not. He was probably just offering a non-committal generality uh, to just kind of like answer the question and throw a couple bones to his backups, who who he probably you know he's probably earnestly happy with the way that Brown and, and Kelly work in practice, so he doesn't want to like bash them or anything. But he's not giving them the keys to the offense, at least not be not over a statement like this.
2: No, def- yeah, definitely, you know, important to note that, yeah, this is just kind of a pre-training camp, like a little lay of the land. They're replacing Todd Gurley. They got a lot of kind of unknowns there. So, of course, he's not going to, like, hitch his wagon to to Cam Akers, uh, you know, to the media uh, right out of the gate like that before we even uh, get on the field. Um, but, you know, we, we were talking about Ronald Jones for, for a minute earlier and just how, like, there there are people that are Vaughn fans almost by virtue of just being uh over Ronald Jones and I, I wonder yeah. I wonder if Daryl Henderson kind of carries a similar vibe in the fantasy community where like people were going nuts on him you know they were they were counting on Gurley exploding uh last year and not in the good way um like more in like the Spinal Tap drummer way um so they drafted Henderson really high. His his ADP got super bloated, and then he obviously had about as invisible of a rookie year as you're going to get, especially for someone that that whose ADP settles at high as high as it does, or as high as it did. Um, so looking at him uh, for this year, he's going you know in probably deservedly like well behind um, Acres in drafts. Yeah. But what do you make of him? Because I think that there was legit reason to believe believe in him last year it just it it went you know basically like the zero percentile range of outcomes for him but I think that there's a lot uh to Darrell Henderson to, to actually like
1: yeah I was definitely among those who was too high on him going into last year uh kind of ironically though I I was kind of spared from myself because his price got so out of hand Going into like the sixth, seventh round range, that even I said, "Eh, that's a bit too much for me. If he had stayed more in that eighth, ninth round range, I probably would have made my season much worse for myself because I would have kept buying him there. So I I dodged a bullet there, but not because I deserved to. So maybe, maybe that's the only reason why I'm able to, to not be so bitter about Henderson. Uh, Jones was pretty similar to that too. Like, I feel like people were taking him in like the fifth round and even, even in his rookie year, people were taking him in like the sixth or seventh or something. And then he's just a scratch all year. So um, I I guess, I guess people shouldn't be able uh, people shouldn't have quite as much, reflexive hate for Daryl Henderson and yet yeah it's like no one wanted anything to do with him and and, you know I guess I'm part of the problem I didn't have any Henderson shares but it it felt like I or I felt like I wanted to get him a couple times it was just that I guess I was targeting quarterbacks receivers tight ends in that range more than running backs it's not like I remember really taking another running back over a Henderson a whole bunch but uh, yeah he was just totally forgotten even in the past week when I feel like there's a little, there's been a little bit more discussion about him, a little more recognition for Henderson in the past week or so, and yet still 138 on NFFC, uh, uh, 140.6 in, in the ADP. So uh, late 11th round, I feel like that is a little higher than it was a couple months ago. I, I can't really look this up, but I feel like he was falling until the 13th pretty commonly a couple months ago. Which, if you're letting him fall that far, you basically believe he will never play unless Cam Akers gets hurt, which I certainly never believed that. I thought, uh, you know, Henderson's going to do something. There's no way he has a second season similar to his first. Uh, But as as much as I feel that way, I'm also still pretty spooked by the way his rookie year went. Sure. Just because, like, I think what happened is he had some trouble picking up some of the specific run-blocking concepts that they use. And it was just easy for it to go wrong for him at that point because Malcolm Brown is super polished in the offense. And I think people like me included might have overlooked malcolm brown a little bit like he's not he's definitely not a starting caliber running back and he's he might even be sub replacement level as a backup but for the rams he knows the way they do things and he's he, he can do some things at least so uh, he was not a true zero like, like i like i probably w- believed uh, as recently as you know winter of of 20 uh 2019 or whatever but i think i think that uh Still, when you even look at the tape that, that Daryl Henderson put up, the, the little bit of tape that he did, he showed some of the things that you expected to see. And he had a couple games there where he went over double-digit carries before he had his, uh, he had some kind of injury thing. And then at the end of the year, he had a high ankle sprain that, that uh, required surgery, actually, which he's supposed to be fine from, uh, recovering from. But, yeah, I always thought, you know, if, if Todd Gurley's a 220 carry running back in this offense— then Acres is probably like a 180, 190 carry running back, and Henderson gets I don't know 60 carries, like at least a Duke Johnson kind of role, something okay. like that. And uh, yeah, his his ADP for a long time didn't even give him that much recognition
2: yeah it was yeah it was like way way down there for a bit so like you said it, it's come back up uh max pick at 101 over the last week that that's definitely higher than i would take him but um you know i don't think that he should be falling close to pick 200 either which has also happened in a different um NFFC draft so i think he he's like a worthy flyer and um you know someone to um i, I don't know if i'm like handcuffing him with with if i'm an acres guy um but mm-hmm. i think that i think that there's just kind of there's more juice to, to Henderson, a guy that, you know, averaged basically nine yards a carry during his college career over, you know, a 300, like almost 400 carry sample um, to where it's like, uh, you know, it can't have all uh, been a fluke. Right. There's, a, there again is a re, even though last year went as bad as badly as it did, there's a reason why you talked yourself, you know, you, the general, you uh, talked yourself into him the way that you did as a, you know, a seventh round type of target a year ago. Like there, there is, there are elements of his game that, that warrant that. It's just a matter of him, like you said, picking things up a little bit more. And I do expect Akers to be um, the main workhorse here. But maybe maybe Henderson you know, f- settles into somewhat of a fantasy useful role. I, I'm optimistic a, of that. I don't think he'll be a complete wash.
1: So I would probably take him over someone like Boston Scott, who's going, I don't know, like a round or two earlier than him. Uh, I, I kind of have Duke Johnson Chase Edmonds and Daryl Henderson all in the same bucket and uh, I've been getting more of Edmonds just because he's kind of like the cheapest of them but I I, I definitely think people should keep in mind who Daryl Henderson actually is like to, to a lot of people their conception of, of Daryl Henderson only begins in chronology starting last year like they, they to them Daryl Henderson is a guy who has been playing for the Rams for one year and he's bad and the Memphis Uh, history prior to that doesn't exist but if you do take into account his memphis history you put yourself in a position where you either have to believe that he's got talent of some kind Uh, maybe it's not as applicable in the nfl as it was at memphis but you have to admit he is really good at a few things because not just the insane production but he took big workloads ahead of guys like tony pollard and antonio gibson so it's possible that just for no real good reason Daryl Henderson is is insanely productive at those guys' expense in college and then turns out to be bad in the NFL, while Pollard and Gibson both turn out good in the NFL. But the way I see things, if, if Gibson and Pollard are good, it's very likely that Henderson is too
2: there you go i think that that's a really good way of framing it in in that uh memphis context and and yeah like pollard obviously had the had the better rookie year between the two of them and and gibson is a really way better intriguing guy um but yeah don't forget that that henderson was you know get he was eating first uh before those guys um at memphis uh before we move on mario to to uh the Chiefs uh, portion of this week's podcast, getting into your most recent article about them. Got a couple messages here from our buddies over at Dynasty Owner um, and over at Fandraft. So, Dynasty Owner, I've been looking for a new challenge, which is why I'm playing Dynasty Owner Fantasy Football this season. Dynasty Owner Fantasy Football unites the fun and excitement of fantasy football with the skill and strategy of the front office dynasty owner is the only way to play fantasy football with real nfl salaries adding the strategy of running an nfl franchise and running an nfl franchise dynasty owner provides a unique challenge for diehard fantasy football fanatics go to dynastyowner.com slash rotowire leagues are forming now that's dynastyowner.com slash rotowire We've all been in a league where the winner obviously just got lucky. And if you're like me and you know that you're better than most, Dynasty Owner gives you the platform to prove it. Dynasty Owner favors skilled players who can manage their roster using NFL salaries within the salary cap. It adds an entirely new level of strategy. Again, go to DynastyOwner.com slash RotoWire. Validate your fantasy football skills. That's RotoWire. Um, that's DynastyOwner.com slash RotoWire. Dynasty Owner, start your dynasty today. And then our message from our friends over at FanDraft, take your league's fantasy football draft to the next level with FanDraft, the online fantasy football draft board draft season, obviously in full swing right now. Uh, just did some baseball ones this week, and obviously football um, is really, really heating up as well. FanDraft makes your draft feel like the actual NFL draft with features such as a streaming ticker, live draft, draft clock, custom logos, team walk-up songs, love the team walk-up songs component of that you know intimidate your league mates properly <laughs> uh, multiple draft board displays and more fan draft can be used offline for in-person drafts by exporting the display via projector onto a large screen TV for the league to enjoy. It can also be used fully online and add any number of your league owners can draft remotely. We all know that there's one guy that you usually can't make it uh, there so we got you covered in that sense. Uh, you can perform both traditional and auction style drafts FanDraft also supports IDPs, rookie-only drafts, keepers, and just about any customization to meet your league requirements. You can sign up for a free trial at FanDraft.com. When you're ready to order the pro account, make sure to use promo code ROTOPOD15 to save 15% off your purchase. Again, that's FanDraft.com. Use promo code ROTOPOD15. 15 to save 15%. All right, Mario, let's get on over uh, to your Job Battles article going over this Kansas City Chiefs offense, obviously the one of the more uh, desi- you know desired offenses to get shares of and obviously the passing game in particular. We know who Tyreek Hill is. We know who Travis Kelsey is. Um, so let's get into this group because it's been tough to parse out um, who that number three target in this offense uh, is going to be.
1: Yeah, and uh, I guess we should do the uh, every time we talk about the Chiefs, we got to do the disclaimer. So uh, this is a Mikel Hardman super fan podcast, Correct. And uh, we are we primarily ex- like we we're we're called a Road to Wire football podcast, and w- we are that. But primarily, our initial our initial cause was was hyping uh, Mikel Hardman, who's just you Correct. know the most important prospect. Uh, but no, we 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 did like him a lot before. Uh, you know, back when people were probably like sixty percent, forty percent, arguing that Riley Ridley was better than Michael Hardman, and that Michael Hardman was a six-round pick, we were pulling our hair out and screaming about how no, he's going to go in the second round, you fools! Why won't anyone listen? So, never, I at least have never really recovered from that, and I I got to acknowledge my bias uh, <laughs> on the subject. But um, you know, I've I've shown some growth, I think, because I I look at Michael Hardman, one oh three point five six in the NFFC ADP. That's not so, you know. That's not too early. I, I'm, I'm, that's definitely not like the uh, the ceiling price someone could come up with if they were really ultra optimistic for their Mecole Hardman projection. And yet, John, would you believe I don't have? I don't think I have more than like a couple best ball shares of his. And in redraft, mm-hmm. I'm not that eager to draft him, uh, at least at the current price. Because, for instance, in the in the wide receiver order in the past week, we got. Mikul going after Christian Kirk at 93.28, after Debo Samuel at 97.2. I don't really know what to make of the Debo thing. I'm, I'm trying to just kind of, I guess, keep my hands off of it at this point. But I would take Christian Kirk over Mikel Hardman just because I'm pretty sure Christian Kirk's going to get like 120 targets in 16 games. With Mikel, that's something that might not happen even if Tyreek Hill were off the field. Because Mikel, at least last year, and I, I think this is something that makes sense for kind of a, a long-term issue for him, he's probably not going to be the kind of guy you can load with targets in the middle of the field sure. and, and in the intermediate area of the field. And then this article, I looked at uh, some of this pro football focus, uh, the, the, the charting of where his targets landed on the field last year, and it was kind of interesting. It pretty much ha- happened downfield and very near the line of scrimmage. There wasn't a whole lot happening in between there and that makes sense because i have 511 uh, 510 188 187 whatever he was Mikul's naturally just kind of like a skinny sort of receiver he's sure. not he's not a guy who whoever projects to weigh in over 200 pounds or anything like that he's, he's not a jalen rager or, or a debo samuel or a Devin duvernay or something like that he's more like the marquise brown kind and as much as we love both of those guys i personally don't really think of either as like a 100 catch kind of player. I'm thinking more like 80 catch and, you know, they're, they're just murdering you with the downfield. They're, they're getting a lot of touchdowns. They're, they're doing 16 yards a catch, stuff like that. They're, they're having 36-point fantasy games when they score multiple touchdowns. But I don't really see him becoming a, a, a major factor in the middle of the field. And that's especially true if Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey are both active because, you know, I, I love Nicole but – the Chiefs would be smart to make him a decoy to get those two going sooner than they would to use Tyreek or Kelsey as a decoy to get right. me cold. At least at this point in their respective careers. Like, you know, maybe in a couple of years, Harmon will be a, a well-rounded beast who, who really can carry a passing game. But for now, his appeal is, is more like that Marquise Brown category and without the actual – Runway that Marquise Brown obviously has in his case in Baltimore. So there's a high risk of week to week volatility with Hardman in his current role with the, with the Chiefs offense as it's currently constructed. I don't see that risk with guys like Darius Slayton at 105.72 or Jamison Crowder at 108.61. So I, and I also don't think in those two cases that you're you're sacrificing that much of the ceiling either because again I don't think Hardman's ceiling takes you know if you if you think of something like in a vacuum the lead receiver on the pat mahomes team it's pretty easy to think of things like tyreek or maybe even more you know it's like you, you think of just maybe the number one receiver in the league i don't think that that's possible in hardman's case so i, I feel like if, if you're if you're chasing hit some theory of his upside it shouldn't be with that particular sort of range in mind it should be more like he could be uh you know I guess what I'm imagining the season to be like for Will Fuller or somebody like that, okay. you know, kind of streaky. Cause they got to go so far downfield and they got to create so much after the catch because their target volume is never going to be really, really high. Um, But also, you know, Me- Meikle's a beast and he's only been playing receiver for three years now. Uh, he only turned 22 in March. He runs that four, three, three. He put up absurd numbers as a rookie, even though he kind of looked like he didn't even really know what he was doing half the time. So that's a player who's got a lot of potential, you know, he's, he's not at his full form and he's already doing stuff that other guys could only dream of doing. There's, this is, this is definitely one of those when, not if kind of things. I just think that if you're taking him over guys like Slayton and Crowder, maybe even a guy like, you know, Jalen Rager or Mike Williams a little lower. It's like, I I just, I, I'm taking Nicole and Dynasty, no questions asked over those kinds of guys, but You know, this year, even me, the super fan, I'm I'm a little concerned that people are maybe underrating Sammy Watkins a little bit. And Watkins is way down at 146.8. So I don't know what people think that's about. Like, I don't, people seem to think he's just going to retire before the season. I don't know what it is. Yeah, it looks Um, like
2: Antonio Brown carries a higher ADP right now than than Sammy Watkins over the last week. So that seems crazy to me. Um, I want to touch on a couple of these other young receivers who are going in the similar ADP. You of course mentioned Kirk and, and, and Slayton uh, and you, you mentioned uh, Rager among the rookies too, but uh, what about, you know, a CD lamb or a Jerry Judy over, over Hardman I think I could probably talk myself into Judy and redraft because I I see a clearer lane for targets for him uh Lamb I think you know is going to be at best like the third or fourth uh target in that in that Dallas offense probably fourth and you know that's all that's all well and good I mean Dak was you know among the league leaders in, in passing yards a year ago but um still that You know, that versus being the second in the pecking order, like like Jerry Judy is going to be like, I probably take Judy uh, there. Um, Hardman, like you said, has like the week to week potential to be, um, you know, the top scoring receiver, but the the floor is still low and it, you know, it's probably going to be about as low as it was a year ago i don't i don't know if it if the floor is raised too much for him so he still has those incredibly like dizzying highs um but yeah i i think that there are some weeks where if you start hardman in redraft you end up with a goose egg or you know like two catches for 20 yards where he got you know stopped at the line of scrimmage type of thing
1: right so that's that's kind of the um the caution angle that we can mention here the good, the good news for Hardman's uh, immediate pr- interest is that Demarcus Robinson is pretty bad. Like He's one of the worst receivers in the league, and I know Andy Reid likes him, so he's still going to be on the team, and he's still going to play some snaps, but there's no good reason for him to play anywhere near as many snaps as he did last year, like 700-plus snaps, uh, getting 55 targets. They should try to get that more like 15 targets, 200 snaps, and... Funny enough, the, the kinds of snaps that Demarcus Robinson played last year and the kind of routes that he drew targets on perfectly suit Micole Hardman's tendencies, which is to say they were outside underneath. The field. Like there wasn't much in the intermediate for Robinson, there wasn't much over the middle for Robinson. And we see in the results last year, too, it's it's in the Chiefs' interest to get this usage tilted toward Hardman at Robinson's expense. Because I'm trying to find the, uh, the exact numbers that I had in the, the article here. It looks like um, we, we, had, we had Robinson running his, his outfield in downfield. Um, sorry, I, I always am bad at using the control F in, in my own articles. Um, sorry, uh, I'm going to keep looking for – okay, here we go. 13 of – according to Pro Football Focus – uh, 13 of Robinson's 55 targets occurred at 20 or more yards downfield. On those 13, he caught 7 for 219 yards. So, you know, just under 50 or just over 50% catch rate. Uh, certainly a nice return. 13 targets turning into 219 yards. You, you will generally take that if offered to you. But do you take that if offered to you when you could instead uh, entertain the, the alternative. Who caught five of seven deep targets for 234 yards? So on, on just more than half of of those deep target volume of of Robinsons, Hardman produced still 15 more yards, and it's like that that is nearly twice as good, you know. And mm-hmm. it's it's not a coincidence. It's not like a fluke in my opinion because the same thing happened underneath. On uh, 29 targets underneath, Robinson caught 21 for 172 yards not bad it's you know it's whatever he caught a lot of them it's it's only like six seven yards a catch but uh, or target but whatever you could do worse however hardman could do a lot better or so we probably have reason to believe because his 22 targets seven fewer than robinson he caught 17 of those and produced 196 yards so seven fewer targets on underneath which is to say zero to five yards uh, from the line of scrimmage Hardman still produced uh, 24 more yards than Robinson did. So taking those targets from Robinson from last year's scheme and just giving them to Hardman, that's enough to get Hardman's baseline, I think, towards something like 850, 900 yards. And that would probably come with eight or nine touchdowns in this scenario if if he keeps breaking away from the defense like he did last year. And as much as 13.1 yards per target is insane and unsustainable, and as much as the uh, whatever nine yards after the catch per catch average isn't sustainable. Hartman still could be uniquely uh, not immune exactly, but like the the, regre- the degree to which regression will occur with him is probably less than it will be with other players. Not just because of the Mahomes factor, but because you know even if you know the the ball's going to to Mecole, you still have to cover Hill and Kelsey more. You still even if they tell you on this play like we're going to Miko deep, watch this. Even when they tell you that, you can't really listen. You still have to put your extra resources toward Hill and Kelsey. So that's how regression normally would get a guy like me, Cole. It's like he makes a big play. The defense learns about it. They adjust. They don't let it happen again. And then he needs to find new ways to make the same play. And then that's kind of how regression gives and takes as as players make adjustments. You can't adjust to this. It's always just going to happen the
2: same way. And, you know, this time last year uh – I remember list kind of you know driving the train of you know everyone saying you know Mahomes is going to re- regress X amount blah 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 and it's like he's going to regress like you're going to put like package him into your regression the same way like as if he's like an average player who regresses at the same rate as as like an average player like no it's just different and you know micole isn't as good at what he does as what mahomes does as as a quarterback obviously but like you said those elements to to hardman's game you can't lump in your average regression with with that like he is going to be a dynamic uh downfield pass catcher who you know is able to make a lot happen after the catch and you know the same can be said of like aj brown too you know oh he's going to regress so much it's like well he's been just Killing people after the catch since like day one at Ole Miss, like that's just a part of his game that's that's different and special, um, that than pretty much everyone else that you can compare it to. So yeah, maybe maybe like the the regression in the categories like you're saying um, with Hardman, like the yards after the catch, um, and so and the yards per target, like maybe they regress a little bit, but not to the extent to which uh, you know like it would be anything like major.
1: Yeah, he's, he's more talented and more qualified than most other players in whatever sample this is and he, he has the easiest job of all of them by far. It's it's just it's kind of like being uh, you know in the, in the Baltimore offense where you know maybe it, it, they're not a lock to, to you know get every play you know completed as a pass or whatever but when you have to cover first the run threat from from the running back handoff and then the Lamar breaking the pocket threat, by then the defense has already used some of its resources just to get to this point in the play. And there's there's just there's only so much you have to work with. And, and when you when you already address Tyreek Hill and Kelsey, if you're fortunate enough to stop them on a play, you probably had to use resources that you would have preferred to use to, to minimize the hardman threat. Like there's just no way around it. And as long as Kelsey and Hill are on the field, it'll always be that way.
2: Yeah, exa- exactly. So as long as those guys are out there, uh, yeah, there's only so it's much. Also you le- it. yeah, it's, it's also worth remembering.
1: Yeah, sorry. It's also worth remembering, as ridiculous as Hardman's numbers were last year in the explosiveness and the efficiency sense, he also had a 64-yard touchdown or something that was overturned against the Raiders By McCoy. because because LeSean mm-hmm. McCoy made a hole that had like nothing to do with the play eight yards away from Mahomes. Uh, that would have been that would have raised his uh, yards per target like probably like another yard and a half or something like that it's like that play is going to be there that if you want to double me hardman and, and leave kelsey in single coverage or hill in single coverage you know have a try see how it goes but you're, you're always going to go back to the situation where you're leaving hardman a little less covered than you wish you could and it's there's just nothing they can do
2: about it yeah exactly and, and that was a game where he did have four catches for 61 and a touchdown again it could have been more it was like his twenty fifth game playing
1: receiver yeah. too in his career.
2: Yeah, so it was week two. Um, I, rem- I remember that very clearly. I remember being very, uh, very mad at Lashawn McCoy, which w- which was just kind of a general theme f- theme for me uh, <laughs> last year. Um, any other you know thoughts here on on this um, on this Chiefs group of pass catchers? Anyone that we need to to keep in mind? Maybe looking down a little bit further on this depth chart, some some uh, sleepers for uh, for dynasty or for later for later rounds or you know, waiver wire this year.
1: Yeah. Uh, so we talk about in this article, certainly Demarcus Robinson and Hardman. I tend to look at Robinson this year as a guy who's worthless or, or, you know, someone you put on your fab watch list, but for draft purposes, I have no interest. That's because, you know, I, I, he was already bad and people are going to look sometimes at Robinson and look at his yards per target numbers and say, Hey, that's pretty good. That's not so bad. If you look at it over the last two years of his career and, and if you extend it to the third year, he has literally had three good games, all of them against the Raiders. And in every other game, if you, if you just remove those three games, he's averaging 5.5 yards per target in a Pat Mahomes offense. Mm. So he's not good. And and if anyone has any belief otherwise about him, they they, they just are fundamentally wrong. So um, with that said, Andy Reid seems to like him a little bit, so it's hard to see Byron Pringle taking that role away from Robinson, even though Pringle was more effective as a pass catcher in his limited role last year. So I'm looking at Robinson and Pringle and I'm thinking, you know, maybe if Hardman or Hill gets hurt or Watkins, certainly. Um, But Watkins uh, also plays more like their slot position or so he did in the regular season. So there's, there's just, I don't think there's upside with Robinson, even though he had, you know, that 30 point game against the Raiders last year. I think that was pretty clearly his high points. What's interesting is uh, for the long term, for dynasty purposes, you can probably get any of the four undrafted rookie uh, Chiefs signings at receiver for f- for free or close to it. And yet, Kalijah Lipscomb and Cody White, Maurice French, Andre Bocellia, all those guys seem to be understudies right now for Watkins in that slot receiver position. So Watkins is playing on a one-year deal that, that they restructured to keep him on the team for. And then they go out and and these guys that they sign after the draft are all slot prospects more than they are downfield prospects. That seems like a pretty deliberate trend there. And it's not exactly likely that any of them are starting in the slot position for the Chiefs next year. But if Watkins is gone it's possible even if they spend like a second or third round pick on another receiver, it's possible that if Kalaja Lipscomb or Cody white or Maurice French or Rochelia make the team this year, that they still might go into next year ahead of that rookie. So any of these guys could be the starting slot receiver for the chiefs in 2021. My, my favorites of the group are are Lipscomb white and French. I don't really think Rochelia is, is that convincing? Um, if he is good, it's only in like the, uh, uh, what would you call it? He, he's only like a like an Adam Humphries kind of slot specialist. Like he can't go downfield. He can't play outside. It's just not happening. Whereas Maurice French, he's pretty well built. He and I he played pretty well at Pittsburgh. I ignored him uh, until recently because I just didn't a, like
2: DraftKings great because he would like that oh, yes. offense was so goofy they would just chuck the ball at him like fifteen times a game. It was awesome. So I'm a, I'm yeah, a French guy. And, he,
1: and like I read in the article he he outplayed the Pittsburgh baseline even though he also was their Leading volume guy, so he's a long shot. They only gave him a twenty five hundred dollars signing bonus, so it's the odds are not in his favor, to be clear. But he's already been pretty good, and you know, depending on what happens with training camp, and depending on what happens with their practice squad, as many as three of these guys could stick with the team. Like one of these guys, or maybe two, I guess, could make the active roster. And even one of the guys who gets cut could be on the practice squad. So I wouldn't be shocked if Lipscomb and White make the team, and then French is on the practice squad. And you know anything can happen in the future if they keep attaching, if they if they keep riding Pat Mahomes' coattails. Uh, any of those guys could do something. But yeah, Collage Lipscomb's interesting because he was a really good four-year player at Vanderbilt. He was their wide receiver one the last two years. Yep. He outplayed the baseline pretty consistently, but he's only six foot two oh seven, which is a solid build. Don't get me wrong. Um, but he only ran a 4 five, seven, 40, uh, 32 inch vertical, so he doesn't profile well for separating outside. He does have the kind of frame, though, to project for contact over the middle. So you you don't want a guy like DeeDee – in my opinion anyway, you don't want a guy like DeeDee Westbrook who's like 5'11", 175, running over the middle trying to – you know, catch a pass in between the zone coverage of the weak side linebacker and, and then one of the safeties, and you know, assume it all will turn out well because he's, he's not that kind of player. Isn't dense? They're not made to take hits. But six foot two oh seven with with a polished skill set over the middle of the field. Certainly Lipscomb had to make his fair share of catches in traffic with how bad, especially Riley Neal was at quarterback. It's like, yep, Riley Neal was so bad that it's like Kyle Shermer looks like a god in comparison. It's that crazy. Is correct. oh my god he's so bad um so yeah lipscomb is is used to and is built for going into the the kind of dangerous part of the field and playing well there like he he thrived doing it so he's interesting even though he's undrafted cody white was a guy that i i actually have to admit i screwed up i i totally missed him when when scouting. scouting no he's he's his uh his production is pretty convincing actually like he Really did impressive stuff, and I, I think I convinced myself that he's sort of like 85%, 90% of Kelvin Harmon as a prospect. And in hindsight, Harmon probably should have been like a, I don't know, late fourth, mid fourth kind of pick instead of the sixth rounder that he was. And so I think if White had been taken in the late fourth or the fifth round, in hindsight, that would have been a totally fine pick. So, yeah, getting him undrafted, nice nice uh, outcome for the Chiefs, I think. But he's the biggest one. He's 6'3", 217 uh, he doesn't have much athleticism. He's probably the least athletic of these four players, actually. But when you're big, when you're that big, and when you're as young as he is, you know, it's like it's possible he would have tested a little better at the combine a year from now than he did uh, back in February. But it has to be said, Cody White's athleticism does not grade very well. 35 uh, inch vertical. At the same time, it's that's worlds better than something like you know, a Geronimo Allison kind of player. That's, that's, that's kind of like the worst case scenario I'm imagining for Cody white. Uh, I think he will be quite a bit better though. And it's just one of those things, like as much as I don't see the obvious reason why in the tape, like I don't know why he keeps making these plays. He keeps doing it and no one else can on his team. And he's, he's got the bullseye on him because he's carrying the volume of the Michigan state passing game. And yet he still is just out producing all of his teammates in terms of efficiency. It's like, even with the defense focusing on him, the wide receiver two can't make a play. They still have to go to White. He still makes plays better with this extra attention than these guys do with no attention at all. So it could just be that the Michigan State receivers were insanely bad. But I do think Daryl Stewart. Dinged up a was, little bit. Wasn't Daryl Stewart invited to the combine too? Like it's he, he's not a he's not exactly just XFL at best kind of prospect. Like I don't have any interest for fantasy purposes, but. If Daryl Stewart is that the name of the guy? Yeah. There's a DJ. DJ. Okay. Um, yeah. The, the other Michigan State receiver. It's like he was clearly outplayed by Cody White. So on the off chance that Stewart sticks around for a little bit, then White almost has to be NFL viable. So th- there's there's a couple. Like those are probably my my two favorites to 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 make this you know narrow path of, of 2021 fantasy relevance happen but uh they both i mean if watkins isn't there it's like i just don't see any reason why these guys would would embarrass themselves at least based on past uh prospect precedent that yep. you and know you
2: they, get, they you get to sorry. catch passes from mahomes too so it can't can't be all right. bad just it's just a matter of getting yourself on the field once if and when uh watkins and the chiefs part ways
1: so yeah i think uh you know if if you're in a dynasty league and it's especially if it's
2: a deep league and you got a spare roster spot
1: and I don't know. It's like, I'd rather have Lipscomb or White on my roster than Russell Gage or something. You know, it's like maybe they're probably going to be a zero. Yes. But they could be quite a bit more than that. And, you know, maybe I could I could flip some useless prospect that I have on my bench for some trivial gain somewhere else. And then just just use this other remaining roster spot on a lottery ticket like Lipscomb or White, because, you know, they already produce really well in bad circumstances. And now they're, they're going into hopefully the Mahomes offense.
2: Yeah, exactly. So that, that was a, a good deep dive. I think that, uh, yeah, you, you unearthed some things about um, even Cody White that I, I was previously unfamiliar with, but yeah, the, it's a, you know, a group of guys that like you characterized are, are lottery tickets, but you know, ones to, uh, you know, they have some convincing, uh, stuff to them, especially if, if a path gets opened up with uh, with Watkins potentially leaving um, after the coming season. Uh, that's going to wrap things up for today's show. Um, important announcement, programming announcement for you, our dear listener. Um, starting next week, we are going to have daily Rotowire NFL podcasts. So we football officially. Uh, back in full swing so our schedule as follows uh mondays you're gonna get jeff and liss uh, must listen of course um tuesdays is gonna be joe bartle and jake latarski wednesdays jeff erickson's gonna have an industry guest on thursdays mario and i still holding it down so that that's not going anywhere for your thursday programming goodness and then for fridays uh, it'll be a more of a dfs centric show uh with andrew laird and scott genstad so really really nice, strong. Uh, podcast lineup that we're going to have uh, rolling out uh, starting next week. Uh, but for Mario Puig, I'm John McKegney. Thanks for listening to the RotoWire NFL podcast brought to you by Dynasty Owner and by FanDraft.
3: mypatriotsupply.com